This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and being with us all week long and for the last, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 weeks of this pandemic especially. Uh, we see the ratings. We see how many people are listening. We see your responses. I listen to your calls and your emails. So it's uh, really important we continue this dialogue. you got like four major stories happening at one time, and one is reigniting, sadly, and that'll be, a, uh, that'll be happening today with the, re, uh, I guess, the reintroduction to some degree, of the coronavirus task force briefing. This will be led by the vice president, so you won't necessarily get Jim Acosta just harassing people. Uh, But it just shows you that they're getting concerned that 30-plus states are seeing an increase in this coronavirus. But the mortality is down. People are surviving. Admiral James Starvitas will be with us this hour. We'll talk about the president pulling troops out of Germany, putting some into Poland, and also what South Korea just did, and so much more. Uh, Meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You have unnecessarily, now we have over 120 million dead from COVID. He said that. Yes, sir. That's not like an error. Gee, it's a slip up. It's a serious error. Presidential push. Biden's basement bust out, and it did not take long to realize why he's best off at home, as he quickly goes back to being gaftastic. Still, in most almost all polls, his lead grows. Do you believe it? And do Republicans have a reason to be concerned? I say yes and yes. Number two. If this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down this system and replace it. All right. And I could be speaking figuratively. I could be speaking literally. Uh, You believe this? That's Hank Newsom. Hawk Newsom, I should say. New York Lives Matter executive. Law and order. Black Lives Matter lashes out, tells us exactly what they're going to be doing. Meanwhile, cops are quitting. Police ambushes are growing. Departments are cutting. How do we fix this mix? Number one. For the Lincoln Monument, the Emancipation Monument, cancel culture has now just become ignorant culture. The mob culture cannot just decide what it wants to destroy. That is Michael Waltz with Fox & Friends Today. War on history. First was the Confederate statues. Tonight, it's Lincoln. Next, Mount Rushmore and Star Spangled Banner. I am not kidding. An attack on both. Is that okay with you? It's not with me. And that's where we'll begin our discussion. Mount Rushmore next week, the president will be going up there July 3rd. And at which time there's going to be protests. American Indians uh, uh, feel as though it was taken from them in a bad deal uh, 200 years ago. And they kind of want it back. And they want the four-step presidents off the side of the mountain. Can I say, how many different ways can I say, not a chance? And for those Americans that support it, just understand something. There would be no America if settlers didn't come and go from sea to shining sea. Some of this stuff was ham-handed, absolutely. The other stuff was you have the British with, uh, you have the British with 
uh, American Indian tribes fighting against us. Number two, then in the Civil War, there's five uh, American Indian tribes fighting with the South. So when we tried to unify the country, we had to make sure that people were loyal to the country. And the way you know, American Indians were, uh, were ass- uh, assimilated in has not been great. But it's part of our past, it's part of our past, part of our history, and it's part of, uh, I think the whole world's a better place because of it. On top of that, when you have Mount Rushmore, you have something that's now coming up on 100 years old and means so much to this country, it's not even for consideration. But it's worth bringing up because they're bringing it up. Here's the President of the United States yesterday, cut one. Well, first of all, we have arrested, I think almost, but it could be over the number, hundreds of people. We have arrested a lot of people for what they've done. They've created uh, bedlam. They've destroyed very important things. I mean, you're also talking about statues of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, They'd like to get Jesus. They're troublemakers, they're agitators, and they're anarchists. The big thing they want is they want to really destabilize our country, and we don't let them. They do. But I thought the president was deferential, understanding that, you know, if you you have ancestors, rooted in slavery, that you could look at the Lincoln statue and say, you know, wait a second. I I think that's a put down. I think it shows that an American white person is bigger than an American black person. But if you read about the statue, the emancipation, it's off of a actual American who's shown with his fist clenched, rising up, breaking chains as if rising in the country. That was the intention of the artist who was commissioned. It was voted on and it was financed by slaves. And the guy who gave the dedication was none other than one of the most famous men in the world, let alone Americans, and that's Frederick Douglass at the time, a true genius. Cut to. Democrats think it's wonderful that they're destroying our country. It's a very sick thing going on. Nobody's ever seen it. Uh, Biden is, is going to be, look, I don't think Biden's a radical left, but it doesn't matter because they're going to just do whatever they want to do. They'll take him over. He can't, he can't perform. He's not going to be able to perform. He's shot. He's shot. Whether you like it or not, he's shot. The radical left is going to take them over. And that's where we stand right now. Uh, we have all these things going down. And I just want to tell you, the president nailed it. People like to say the president says things that aren't true, aren't verifiable. This one is verifiable. The whole Russia investigation hoax, every day it gets closer to being the absolute truth that he threw out uh, back in 2017 after he officially took office in January of that year. So now this, he said, if you first they come from the Confederate statue, what's next, Thomas Jefferson and George Washington? The answer is yes. Here's Tom Cotton, cut three. Anti-American mobs are roaming the streets in many cities, tearing down statues of our greatest statesmen, men like Abraham Lincoln, U.S. Grant, and George Washington, after whom this capital city is named. But the Democrats aren't doing anything about that problem. Oh, no. On the contrary, the mob is in many ways the youth movement of the Democratic Party. So they are perfectly content to look the other way or even cheer it on. But instead, the Democrats have found... Another pressing issue. The House is voting tomorrow on a bill to make Washington, D.C. a state. If that sounds insane, you're not alone. More than two-thirds of the American people oppose D.C. statehood, according to a Gallup poll last summer. By some estimates, D.C. statehood is less popular even than defunding the police. 
And the reason why Democrats want to do that, and it has nothing to do with your agenda or my agenda, it has everything to do with their agenda. They, they believe it's a heavy liberal area. They'll always have two more senators in the Senate. Uh, they'll have a permanent majority. So that will never go. But if Joe Biden wins and the Democrats get the Senate, you know they're going to blow up the filibuster and pass wild legislation. And what the president's saying is not hyperbole. I don't think that Joe Biden's a radical left. But to get elected, he's going to need the support of the radical left and the payback will be substantial at 77 years old what does he care throw it out we'll go do it let's pull down every statue let's make washington a state uh and let's continue to uh gerrymander to make sure the house uh stays the house meanwhile when it comes to law and order remarkably quiet on most democrats as we watch murders go up 80 percent in new york city 80 percent Shootings are up 54% in New York City. In Chicago, over 100 shot over the weekend. Minneapolis crime and shootings are going through the roof. All part of a defund the police. Diminish the police. Reform the police. They are beginning to quit. I was, sh- not su- I was stunned, but I shouldn't have been. When I read this morning... That a Bronx precinct commander, his name is Richard Bray. He's deputy inspector. He's been on the job for 30 years. He says he's quitting. Says his bosses are not giving him enough guidance on how to get guns and drugs off the street. The department has been disbanded and reassigned its anti-crime unit. And that anti-crime unit helped tell them where the crime was surging because they were out there doing incredibly dangerous work. But the NYPD had that unit disbanded 600 person strong. The police commissioner said yesterday, our justice system is imploding. Yes, says you have to step back and look at this. You have a criminal justice system that's just imploding. That according to 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 Commissioner Shea, he said that's the kindest way to put it. Uh, So far, these criminal cases are ongoing. They are stagnant. They are deferred. Each of these represents somebody not being held accountable and there are no consequences. And when it comes to law and order, we don't have it in these city streets. So I don't care about taking about I I don't care that American that Americans are tearing apart America's past. I don't care that police who have been diminished and debased now being defunded by the they want a billion dollars out of the NYPD budget. I didn't even know we had a billion dollars. And not a word from Joe Biden. There's not a Democrat who's saying, well, I'm law and order. This is the same Joe Biden that came up with uh, criminal justice reform that put tens of thousands of African-Americans into jail. So there's just no outrage. And silence tells you where you stand. Why are people okay with the chaos? Why are people okay with the crushing of our past? To me, this is an opportunity for Donald Trump. But Donald Trump has to decide what he's running on. Donald Trump has got to make his message crisper. He's got to find a way to find out why people have him, four out of, only four out of every 10 Americans support him. He needs five out of 10. How does he do that? Seems to me, have compassion for the racial injustice and have no tolerance for the lack of law and order. Be patriotic, but understand the Confederacy has a double-edged sword. Understand. Doesn't mean every statue comes down. And number three, tell me what you're going to do. 
And first and foremost, tell me how you're going to handle the pandemic because it's coming back. State control, most responsible. I get it. I agree. But your base is seniors. Female seniors are leaving in droves, not just one poll in every poll. And you can say the pollsters don't know what they're talking about. You can't say it when it's this many. So the president's got to address these issues in the next four months. It'll be pleasant for him. If not, it could be right now him losing to the worst candidate in my lifetime, someone who literally can't complete a sentence. So that's the law and order that I think the president needs to tap into. When we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 Also, keep in mind, we got some good news this week. iHeartRadio, it's an app you get on your phone, and it's, uh, many of your stations are owned by iHeart, and now carrying this show as a podcast. So you go ahead and uh, double-click on it and get it anytime, anywhere. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Keeping you informed for 10 years. And he's not done yet. Brian, everything you say is awesome. I love your show. Brian, a great show. You know, it's fast-paced. It's interesting. I wish I didn't have to work during the day. I love your show. You're you're just different than any of the other folks on the radio. Some of them are just so negative. Thank you for what you do. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. People tend to think of that figure as being servile, but if you uh, second look, you will see something different perhaps. That man is not kneeling on two knees with his head bowed. He is in the act of getting up, and his head is up, not bowed, because he's looking forward to a uh, future of freedom. People have said, well, he's chained to Mr. Lincoln. Closer look, you will see that while there's a shackle on his right hand, he's holding the end of a broken chain, which means he has taken his freedom. He now realizes he's free. So I say, leave it, let it stand. Uh, And that is uh, an important point. That is a local historian. She's also a reenactor. And 
Uh, she was asked about the Lincoln Emancipation Statue. Her name is Marsha Cole. She's a member of the Female Reenactors of Distinction who portrays um, Charlotte Scott, uh, who is freed uh, the, in that day, was the first to donate money to—she's a, uh, a freed slave who donated money towards the building of a monument— and that was erected back in 18 and, and unveiled back in 1876. Would I, if people approach this from a pro-American perspective, I think people are open to it. What I would do is put a Frederick Douglass statue right there where he dedicated the statue and take a piece of that speech, which wasn't all complimentary about America at the time, and put, put the way he ended it and the way he started it. Who, by the way, out of everybody to dedicate a, a Lincoln statue, they chose Frederick Douglass. That's how that's how uh, tight they were as friends. Lee, listen, KJCE in Austin, Texas. Hey, Lee. Uh, first of all, Brent, thanks for being the voice of reason and uh, someone we can count on to bring the truth. Uh, I think one of the things that's been forgotten in this country is the difference between what is sacred what is common and what is profane. And we have a generation of people growing up who don't know the difference. So everything becomes profane. Everything becomes common and nothing is sacred. And, you know, uh, uh, our youth don't know the history of the flag, of the anthem, while we stand because the anthem represents the creed which this country was built on, that all men were created equal, uh, endowed by their creator with rights. And even though we don't get it perfect, that's what we strive for, and that's what men and women have died for and served for. And, and, and I say this to people also, do Christians, do we throw away the Bible because Christians continue to sin? This is a great point. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, wh- why are you going to church? You're not per- if you're not perfect, why are you even walking in? You know, and, and exactly. the whole thing is, nobody ever thinks Americans in the past were perfect. And no one says, well, I wish I, I, I walked through my life as perfect as Thomas Jefferson. But we, they were indispensable into the country we became. And now, you know, do you know they're, that they're, Jefferson's disappeared at William & Mary College, where he went to college? Uh, they, they protest his statue at the college he created, the University of Virginia. It's nuts to me. To me, you leave Jefferson there and then take your $70,000 and go to a different college. It's crazy. You know, we, we, we've forgotten the, 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 the thing, probably one of the best creeds in the world, and that's the creed of forgiveness. And we forgive people for wrongs that they did and, and appreciate them for the goodness that they did, and we honor them for that goodness. And like Everyone else, no one gets as perfect. Yes, some of our forefathers had slaves, but even in the midst of having slaves, they wrote, all men are created equal. Against what they were actually living, they saw something greater. Something greater came through them, and they they penned those words to found this, find this country on. And this country went through a period where there was a slave, a flag of, of slavery with the Confederate, but there were white men, black men, who died with that, with old glory, representing the creed, which we should all honor and hold as sacred. It's not common. It's not profane. It's a sacred flag. It's a sacred anthem that we should all stand and honor it, because if we lose those those things which are sacred, those are the pillars which 
the foundation of this great country stands on it, and that's why I stand for the flag. Well, you're 100% right, and now this trend to sing your different national anthem, This Land is Your Land, they're going to sing in Tulsa with some uh, ridiculous soccer team. Uh, now we're kneeling during the national anthem. Uh, another soccer coach came out and said we shouldn't play it at all, uh, and now we want to change it. Uh, it's just Yahoo News or Finance just wrote a column saying that we should change it to John Lennon's Imagine, which has nothing to do with America. Lee, thank you. Great call. You need, you need your own show uh, over in Austin, Texas. one 408 Admiral James Chavita is next. Then back to your calls and more uh, breaking news. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's no country that presents a broader, more comprehensive threat to America's innovation to our economic security and to our democratic ideas than China does. Just to give you some context for that, just as we're sitting here having this conversation, the FBI has over 2,000 active investigations that trace back to the government of China. Well, I'm listening to Brett Baer interview Chris Ray, the FBI director, a rare interview, by the way. I said, now I know how I'm bumping into Admiral James Chaffee's segment uh, because I want to talk about China, and we've got a few different angles. Uh, he is with us now. He's the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, author of Sailing True North, 10 Admirals in the Voyage of Character. And if you want to know what he thinks in between appearances on our show, go to AdmiralStab.com. Admiral, your take on what Christopher Ray said. We, I was shocked at the scope. Is that different? from the China threat that you, when you left uh, service? Uh, it is a greater threat. I left uh, just over five years ago, Brian. And uh, Director Ray, by the way, for whom I have a great deal of respect, I think he's managing to stay uh, apolitical during a very difficult time, and he's centered and smart. Um, I think he's got it about right in indicating that the threat has been accelerating, um, I think, particularly over the last five years. And I'll give you very quickly four things that I worry about. He mentioned a couple of them. One is intellectual property theft. That's going up. One is cyber intrusions. And here I mean both to do the intellectual property theft, but also we're starting to see China into some election manipulation in the social networks. That's very concerning. Third, the one the administration has been most aggressively pursuing, which is imbalance in trade and tariffs. And then fourth, and this is an important one, and, and I guess you'll hear this from an admiral, but uh, we ought to worry about the South China Sea, Brian. It's this enormous body of water. It's the size of the Caribbean and the Gulf of Mexico combined. And China claims it in its entirety as territorial seas. It's full of oil, natural gas, 40% of the world's shipping passes through it. Uh, that's a geopolitical disagreement of significant order. So we've got all four of those things bubbling along, and that's before COVID-19 arrived on the scene. So what do you think happened in Hawaii last week uh, with the Secretary of State and Chinese officials? Um, I think this is a good move. Um, 
I have always said, and I think Secretary Pompeo would agree with us, that um, we want to bend the relationship with China, but we don't want it to break. What we don't want here is to stumble into a full-blown Cold War 2.0. Some would say we're already there. I was talking with my former boss, wonderful, wonderful person, Secretary of Defense Robert Gates, about a week ago. He said he thinks we're there already in a Cold War 2.0. I don't think so. I'm kind of with Henry Kissinger. I think we're as Kissinger said, I think we're in the foothills of a war, a cold war with China. But, you know, Brian, uh, we're in skirmishes everywhere. Skirmishes lead to battles. Battles lead to cold wars. Cold wars can lead to hot wars. So I think Secretary Pompeo is doing the smart thing, which is trying to have conversations. I think he's trying to bend that relationship. And I would guess that part of this conversation is about Hong Kong and about Taiwan. So the U.S. has accepted the European Union's offer to create a new dialogue to discuss the China threat. Um, number one, I guess it's the EU uh, in Parliament. It's not. We're not talking about NATO forces are together. But um, here is what General Jack Keane told me this morning about that possible combination. The EU Parliament, who has no control over the EU countries per se, they, they can't make policy. But that membership has called for sanctions against China based on their malign and aggressive behavior towards Hong Kong and also wants to bring them into the International Court of Justice. I think what Secretary Pompeo is going to do with the European leaders is a huge step in the right direction. And we'll see if he gets cooperation. What, what, how would we define that? And we would define that co- uh, cooperation to action, right? And what power does the parliament have? Um, indeed, we would. And a couple of points here. And uh, General Jack and I are good friends. We've discussed China as recently as uh, a week ago. We were on a board together having a conversation about this. Um, clearly, what we need the Europeans to do are um, be with us militarily, not in their NATO role, Brian, but in the South China Sea, where we do what we call freedom of navigation patrols. We send our destroyers and our cruisers, even our aircraft carriers, into waters that China claims as territorial seas. We want the British and the French to come and operate with us in that regard. They have globally capable navies. They can do that. Um, Number two, we want the European nations to align with us Um, in terms of putting diplomatic pressure on China uh, in everything from containing the next coronavirus-type event to uh, ensuring that they don't try and crush Hong Kong or try and uh, undermine support for Taiwan. And then thirdly, we need the Europeans to align with us economically because the numbers are staggering. The U.S. has about 25 percent of the global economy The Europeans, Brian, have another 20 to 25 percent collectively. So together, we're 50 percent of the world's economy. We can put real pressure on China if we work together economically. I'll close on this by saying the new leader of the European Union is a woman named Ursula von der Leyen. She was a minister of defense of Germany when I was Supreme Allied Commander. I know her extremely well. She's very capable, and she gets this. And I would say the Europeans who used to want to kind of be in a marriage with China and and work together across the spectrum, they're not ready to ask for a divorce yet, but they are certainly putting some terms out there 
we are to encourage that. That's something the administration, I think, can do quite effectively. All right. Another area. So we're going to look at that. I'd love to see people, uh, uh, our allies get together with us and uh, we get together with allies. I would also love to see some at least public backing of Australia as well as Canada. China's trying to bully both those countries for different reasons. And I want to hear it. Absolutely. And uh, China is bullying Australia economically, and they're, they're going after Canada uh, by arresting Canadian citizens, innocent Canadian citizens who were in China and holding them prisoner effectively to create a, uh, a prisoner swap, if you will, because in Canada is a woman who is under very serious economic indictment by both the United States and Canada. And it's a, it's a cheap trick on the part of China, and we should not allow that to stand. So it's not only the Europeans who can be quite helpful here. It is Canada, which is a Pacific power, just like we are. Australia, obviously. New Zealand, their cousins across the, the sea, as well as Japan, South Korea, Singapore. Um, all of our ability collectively to stand up to China, to confront China where we must, um, is reliant upon these systems of uh, allies, partners, and friends, Brian. Well, so uh, Iraq's got a new president, and he's been pretty impressive uh, so far. I mean, we've been, we have had our fingers crossed before and been let down. But I understand Iraqi security forces raided a headquarters belonging to an Iranian militia group in southern Baghdad. Can you give us some perspective on this? I know this is relatively new. Um, it, this is relatively new and very important, and I am uh, encouraged by this. For too long, we've seen uh, the influence of Iran. And this really, Brian, as you know, is about Iran and its desire to consolidate political control over southern Iraq, which is uh, the Shia part, which is the same part of Islam that Iran yeah. uh, adheres to. So the Iranians have thoroughly infiltrated this southern part of Iraq. And there's already enormous tension in Iraq between the uh, southern Shia Iraqis, the Sunni Iraqis who are in the middle of the country, and, and of course the Kurds to the north. What you're seeing now with the new president is um, he is standing up to the Shia militias because he knows it is a death threat to the nation if he allows Iranian malign influence to continue there. We had to get behind him and uh, continue to have our troops there doing training, which they are not huge numbers, small numbers, but it also helps us keep a thumb, as we've talked about, on the Islamic State, which is still right across the border and operating in uh, eastern Syria. Heard there was a huge, uh, by the way, that going after the uh, the Hezbollah group, the Qatab Hezbollah group. Also something else, and I knew you were coming on today, so I want to get your take on the explosion in Iran that no one can explain. Uh, it is yet. The defense ministry said a gas explosion near the Parshan complex had caused no injuries, but the base is a major military development site, and a researcher there says that they produce artillery rockets there and had tests related to nuclear weapon designs before 2003. So you definitely take note of this, correct? Absolutely. And, you know, let's wait and see uh, what comes out of U.S. intelligence, which will be analyzing this uh, carefully. And a, a key player in this is Israeli intelligence, which has a lot of pipe 
uh, into Iran. As you say, the reports are that this was a, quote, industrial gas tank explosion. Uh, you know, you could see this thing from the moon. Um, there very possibly could be uh, a military component to this thing. And it, it speaks to the fact that the Iranians are continuing to expand their ability to uh, use large-scale, long-range ballistic missiles with which they threaten not only Israel, our closest ally and partner in the region, but our Arab partners, uh, including the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, the Gulf states, as well as they have long-range ballistic missiles, Brian, that can reach southeastern Europe. So this is one to watch. It happened, uh, what, 14 hours ago? We'll know a lot more over time. And uh, lastly... We're taking troops out of Germany, getting down to 25,000, putting some more into Poland. But General Keene said he's very concerned about this. And I was wondering, are you? I am very much so. Um, and, and again, look at the numbers here. During the Cold War, we had almost 500,000 troops uh, in and around uh, Germany. And because of the full gap and the threat of the Soviet Union, we've drawn that down. Today, we have just about... 50,000 troops in Europe. So we pulled 90% of those troops out, as we should. We're not in a Cold War with Russia, but tensions are rising. And so this taking those 10,000 troops um, doesn't sound like that big a deal, but it's expensive to move them. If we bring them back here to the U.S., we got to pay for their bases. Um, the Germans pay a substantial amount, not the total amount, and they should, but it's still a substantial amount. So we're, we're going to lose money. It sounds to the Russians like we're kind of backing down. It sounds to our allies like we're stepping away. We don't get any benefit from it. I don't think it makes military sense. I'm sure General Keene said the same thing. Um, at a minimum, if we're going to pull troops out of Germany, we ought to put them in Poland and the Baltic states, but we should not reduce our overall troop count in Europe. And I would argue Germany is still the best place to keep them militarily, a little bit back from the border, but then they can surge into those areas I just mentioned. So I'd say keep the troops in Germany, absent maybe a thousand or two thousand, put those in Poland and a few over in the Baltics. That's a good military footprint. And I say that having commanded that mission for four years. Yeah, but I would say this. I think the president makes two good points. Could you please pay your 2 percent? And yes. why would you allow the hub of this natural gas coming from Russia that will fan out throughout Europe knowing they can shut you off in the dead of winter while we protect them. And, you know, the president thinks differently than you. you got, you're dramatically different. And me. Uh, we've, you, they, you've done dramatically different things over the last 50 years. But he looks at that as black and white. He's like, wait a second, I'm protecting you, but yeah. you're, you're actually rejecting our overtures <laughs> to get natural gas to you and using the enemy I'm protecting you from. Do you understand his point of view? I understand his frustration, and I think you, you just uh, uttered the key phrase here, which is black and white. Nothing is black and white, and those two points are absolutely valid. We should continue to hammer the Germans for the 2% spending, and we should continue to press them economically and diplomatically on the gas pipeline. Those are both true, but it is also true that we ought to – it is in our interest to maintain those forward bases – deter Russia, keep Europe together. So point is, it's not a black and white scenario. It's a kind of a 
it's a shade of gray. It's a negotiation. And uh, perhaps the president is looking at this as a negotiating uh, move. He often does that. Um, I would argue let's keep the strategic, which is the troop strength there, uh, distinct from that tactical pressure we ought to put on them. But I am in agreement. Mm -hmm. We ought to put pressure on for 2%. I'm on record forever talking about that, uh, long before President Trump was talking about it. And I, I agree with him on the, uh, the mistake Germany is making in becoming reliant on Russian gas. Admiral, I always think that I'm, I'm vying for some type of diploma by the end of our segments. So <laughs> I, at some point, I'm going to be in a ceremony. And uh, I learn so much each uh, week when you join us. Admiral, thanks so much. And our yeah, audience does, too. You're, you're too kind, and we're going to get you at that master's degree before it's all said and done, Brian. You're, you're doing great. Thanks a lot, and always glad to hear what General Jack Keene is thinking. Smart guy. He is. Uh, thanks so much, as are you. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Don't go anywhere. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. one 408 Let's go out to Rich. Listen to WNDB in Daytona. Rich. Hey, Brian. How are you this morning? Good. Good, good. Hey, I just wanted to um, say it will not surprise me when we find out that all these protests have been financed, uh, well-financed and well-coordinated by the left and the liberals and the radicals. And they are, they are taunting the president to use force that they're going to deem to be unnecessary and over the top. And that's going to drive the media to claim that the president is nothing but a dictator. And uh, this is showing his true colors. Right. And he Rich, just Rich, I, to- I understand where you're going with it. And this is what I would say. This is actually playing to the president's strength because they've gone so over the top with what they're doing from taking abolitionists and throwing their statues into literally into the river and then doing with Lincoln and Grant. Uh, it's actually playing to the president's strength. And he was actually very deferential yesterday. thought he had a great message yesterday. What the president needs to do is tell us exactly why we, why he needs another four years. Uh, let's listen. Let's go out to doctor in, in a, a doctor in Jacksonville, Florida. In 20 seconds or less, I'm going to blow your mind. Uh, I'm Trump's number one African-American fan. And now we're talking about the facing Stone Mountain, Georgia, because it's got Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis, and Stonewall Jackson. Well, are the black people in America, I'm black myself, are we going to change our last name because of Jackson, Lee, and Davis are slave names? A lot of black people have those slave names, like Sheila Jackson E. She's got two slave names in her name. Jesse Jackson, are you going to change your last name? Again, I'm walking African-Americans past their emotions and showing them the propaganda, and I'm winning them over to see that that it's propaganda. Thanks so much. Brian Kilmeade, keep it here. Great call. 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get ready, everybody. Uh, next hour. It's the latest hour of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, this hour, this we're going to be joined by Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor of Texas. Uh, the coronavirus coming back pretty strong in Texas. The Houston area, the most concerning. They say the, uh, the ICU is getting filled up quick. What they got to do is do everything they can not to lock down, but they got to slow down. So far, uh, the reopening's in a pause. I understand that, too, in Florida. It hasn't technically done in California, who just loves locking down and more than willing to do it. They are threatening to lock down again. The mayor of Los Angeles is saying, we recommend you stay home. Okay, thanks. I wouldn't make a living. I won't go out and work out. I wouldn't even jog. I'll just stay home. So we'll see where this goes. About 30 states are seeing increases. As the president says, they are doing some alterations. One thing they're beginning to do, they say, is going to start testing people in groups, give them an idea of a true hotspot, and it's cheaper, more affordable. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You have unnecessarily, now we have over 120 million dead from COVID. He said that. Yes, sir. That's not like an error. Gee, it's a slip up. That's a serious error. Uh, the president reacting in real time to Sean Hannity's information about another gaffe. Presidential push. Biden's basement uh, base bust out of his basement and did not take long to realize why he was best off at home. As he quickly goes back to the gaftastic Joe Biden, we all know and very few love. Still in almost all polls, his lead grows. Do you believe the polls? And do Republicans have a reason to be concerned? I say yes and yes. Number two. If this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down this system and replace it. All right. And I could be speaking phys- fit, uh, figuratively. Okay. I could be speaking literally. Really? Hawk Newsom, president of New York's Black Lives Matter division. Law and order. Black Lives Matter lashes out. Cops are quitting. Police uh, ambushes are growing and departments are cutting. How do we fix this mess? Number one. For the Lincoln Monument, the Emancipation Monument, cancel culture has now just become ignorant culture. The mob culture cannot just decide what it wants to destroy. That is Michael Walt, Green Beret, now serving in the National Guard. War on history. First, it was the Confederate statues. Tonight, it could be the Lincoln statue. Next, Mount Rushmore next Wednesday, next Friday, actually. And the Star Spangled Banner in the crosshairs. Is all this okay with you? It's not with me. Let's discuss it with Geraldo Rivera, Fox News' correspondent at large, author of The Geraldo Show. Geraldo, are all these things okay with you? Hell no. It, uh, you know, let me just take it from the political point of view first before I get into my substantive rage at uh, the defacing uh, and vandalizing and, and, and anarchy. Uh, I, I worry that the president seems to have lost control, uh, lost control of the COVID epidemic, lost control of the, uh, of the civic order, uh, lost control of the messaging. Uh, you know, he was already uh, a long shot 
to be reelected. Now I think he's got a Herculean task, not impossible, uh, you know, but uh, to put all, all uh, your hopes on the three October debates, face-to-face debates with the gap prone uh, or, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe cognitively challenged uh, Joe Biden, I think is, uh, is, is really very, very risky. Uh, I, you know, in terms of substantively what's happened, you know, you, you've spelled it out, I think, over the last several days with your, your brilliant grasp of history, how uh, they are defacing, uh, you know, some of the foundational uh, uh, figures in American history. Uh, you know, I grew up with that Teddy Roosevelt statue outside the uh, Museum of Natural History on Central Park West. You know, I, I, I you know, my uh, my relatives are 10 percent Native Americans. I, I've always felt a sense of uh, pride. Uh, and, and Teddy Roosevelt's always been my favorite president. Now, suddenly he's a, a racist, uh, white supremacist, uh, astride, uh, you know, trampled races uh, and, uh, you know, worthy of being uh, taken down and shuttled uh, ignominiously into some dark uh, uh, warehouse someplace. Uh, you know, this rewriting of history. You know, I was uh, just very briefly, Brian, I was a, a, a fellow at, at Calhoun College at Yale University, very prestigious fellow uh, uh, fellowship. They, uh, you know, uh, we we'd go up there every couple of a couple of times a year to speak with the uh, the incoming students in Calhoun College. Uh, I resigned that fellowship when they said that Calhoun College had to be renamed because a single African-American uh, student at Yale was upset uh, when he learned of Calhoun's uh, slaveholding background in the early part of the 19th century. Uh, so even though Calhoun was one of the five greatest senators of all time, according to John F. Kennedy, uh, you know, the college uh, you know, just just uh, assigned him to the scrap heap of history and renamed. I don't even know who the person they they substituted him with is because I resigned uh, my fellowship. Uh, but uh, you know, it's I I I lament this is 1984. This uh, uh, erasing history and rewriting it every single day is. Uh, you know, I have nothing against taking down Confederate monuments that were erected during Reconstruction or or during Jim Crow. Uh, I think that most of those statues were erected specifically uh, to remind uh, African Americans of slavery in the uh, bad old days. I have no problem with taking it down, but in an orderly way, in a lawful way that doesn't, uh, you know, deface public well, spaces and, a couple and of things, people. Harald, a couple of things. I'll go to the election second. So let's finish up what you're talking about now. I talked to a member of the Roosevelt family yesterday. He'll probably come on with us this week. And they are concerned. They say that they just want to keep their ancestor out of this political firestorm because he was a person of his times. You know, he wasn't exactly Martin Luther King, but he, he had, did not have a history of, of racial bias. Uh, in fact, famously, he's the first one to invite an African-American, one of the most famous and prominent ever, Booker T. Washington, to the White House. He got such blowback, he didn't do it again. But they say this, the statue's been there, and the people just don't like the African-American and the uh, how the American Indians projected. But the only reason that he's taller is because he's on a horse and he's president. Presidents are taller. And these, that's part of his legacy. But if they feel as though if they get in a fight, it'll bring a magnifying glass to somebody who lived in the turn of the 20th century, not born in 2020 and as enlightened as the shirtless skateboarders wrecking Fifth Avenue. So that, I'm, they're, they're my idea and their idea 
was, why don't you just get, if you want like Teddy Roosevelt, and it's not personal, you just don't like the way, get another Teddy Roosevelt. Because we have so many Teddy Roosevelt statues that could be swapped out. Maybe that would be a compromise. Maybe you want to get a Frederick Douglass and, who spoke and commemorated the statue of in 1876 of Abraham Lincoln at that very spot. Maybe you want Frederick Douglass statue right there with some text of his speech talking about the friendship these two men had. But uh, first off, how do you feel about those two suggestions? I, I think that they're, they're fine. I worry, you know, you got Robert Shaw from the 54th Regiment, the, uh, uh, you know, the the abolitionist who uh, became commander of an all-black uh, regiment that uh, uh, performed heroically in a suicide uh, uh, assault in, uh, in on Charleston, South Carolina, uh, depicted in the movie Glory with uh, Denzel Washington and Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Uh, you know, to take that down because... Uh, you know, historically, the white guys were the officers and the black guys in the 54th Regiment, uh, distinguished, historic, uh, legendary now, uh, were black guys. I mean, it's, it's, unbelievable. it's a rewriting. It, it's it's awful. And it's and it's ignorant. I mean, taking down uh, Hans Christian uh, Haig's uh, statue in Madison, Wisconsin, and, it, and U.S. Grant and uh, Lincoln and so forth. It's I mean, just it's designed to hurt the country. It, I think it hurts the country, but it also hurts the president. Going back to uh, you know what I what I feel about if he doesn't control the virus and if he doesn't uh, return to America a sense of civic uh, decency and order, uh, he's going to get. See, see, I see it differently. I see it differently. He's the only one, along with Tom Cotton and maybe Rubio and Senator Lee, speaking up. He actually is taking action. He actually stopped the Andrew Jackson statue from being taken down. He now has a monument act that is going to put these men and women in jail for doing this. And they're going to he's announced 100 prosecutions. The attorney general confirmed it on the investigations of the takedown of these hundreds of memorials and statues around the country. So this has a chance because it's the idiocy of going after Lincoln and Grant and Washington and Jefferson because they've gone so overboard. This could work. Work for him. And the Biden silence lets everybody know those independents that are on the fence. Wait a second. Is this guy just going to let everybody run rampant? Is he going to allow this? The autonomous zones, are they going to be in every city? The one that this liberal mayor has invited? Another Occupy autonomous zone in New York that's flourishing? Plenty don't know Black Lives Matter in the street instead of wondering why shootings are up 80% in his city? So I think this is an opportunity for the president to be the law and order guy and not create law and order to show what he is. But I do think the one area in which he's not responding effectively is the pandemic. It's tough. I get it. But I believe the poll trends that he's challenged in every state, including Texas. Uh, But real quick, I want you to hear what he's up against. And this is the supposedly level-headed, popular Democratic idea. Listen to Governor Cuomo and tell me if moderates and independents can get their head around this. People are making a statement. Uh, about equality, about community, uh, to be against racism, against slavery. Uh, I think those are good statements. And uh, it depends, you know, can you overdo it? Of course you can. But uh, in New York, I don't think we've overdone it. And I think that I think it's a healthy expression of people saying, let's get some priorities here and let's remember the sin and mistake that these this nation made and let's not celebrate it. That's anti-Geraldo, and to me, that's not what I can get my head around. Well, I don't 
think the governor heard the sound that you played earlier of the New York chapter head of Black Lives Matter who said, if we can't fix it, we'll burn it down. Uh, you know, to me, uh, that was a race-baiting anarchist uh, threatening law-abiding people with uh, conflagration and, and, and disorder. Uh, you know, I didn't hear any condemnation from a single Democrat of any excesses of the Black Lives Matter or any of the people associated or or who are tangentially involved in the in the same cause. Uh, you know, where are the Democrats? They've been they've been silent on it. Joe Biden hasn't said a word about it. Uh, but I want the president to be much more. Uh, a, a, I don't want him to be a bully, but I want him to be the, the president is the is the father of the country. Uh, you know, uh, it, the current current father. I'm not talking about George Washington. So uh, he, he's like the dad. Uh, now, if dad lets the kids burn the cities down, uh, he lets them, uh, uh, you know, uh, create disorder and and, uh, and communes uh, out of neighborhoods, depriving uh, lawful tenants and uh, landlords and owners of uh, of their property. Uh, you know, it, it's a, it's bad. It's no. It, I I don't know if he doesn't have enough good staffers, but it just seems to me, Brian, that. Uh, he's a, a day late and a dollar short, even in the monument protection uh, business. I mean, far too many of these things went down or were defaced uh, in uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the, I, I don't have a sense or not uh, not okay. yet or maybe not fully formulated that he's, he's in charge yet. Well, I'll tell you what. This, I mean, he could send troops into Seattle. He was on that early. He could send— uh, he he No, could, he didn't have to do that. No, he but I'm just saying that, that he was kind of—you know, kind of helpless. What are you he supposed to do in a liberal— What are you supposed to do with de Blasio? What are you supposed to do in Minneapolis? What are you supposed to do in Seattle? That mayor said this will be the summer of love. When you have these clueless local leaders— you are really hamstrung, or you could underline, this is the America you will have if I'm not here. Well, I think that that latter is and should be his strategy. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I want uh, like uh, I want James Carville suddenly to morph into a Republican and, be, and do what uh, Steve Bannon did it uh, in a crude way and had excesses, but that's what the president needs. He, he should not be the, the one voice that says, Oh, they're bad. Oh, they're doing, I, you know, I think that the Senate Republicans, with the exception of Tim Scott and the, uh, and the, uh, police reform bill, uh, I, I think they, they've been very disappointing. Uh, where is their rage? What about the house Republicans? Where is their rage? Where, you know, I, I, other than on Fox news, you don't see any of these stories uh, and your radio show. You don't see any of these stories. There's not a, a theme uh, uh, directing America's attention to anarchy and uh, civic uh, uh, disorder and, and breakdown of, uh, of systems of uh, retarding our economic uh, uh, rebound with, uh, you know, uh, these acts of violence and so forth. I mean, I live in Cleveland now. I, I still go downtown. There are 80 80 stores. The, the soul of downtown Cleveland is plywood. Oh, my now. goodness. So I didn't know that. Uh, you go in New York, Fifth Avenue, Sixth Avenue, 7th Avenue, plywood, 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 as far as the eye can see from the broken windows and the shops that are trying to protect themselves against uh, anarchy. Uh, you know, that's not the look that gets someone elected president. 
or re-elected president, it seems to me. Uh, yeah. You call out Biden on a constant basis. Come on. Uh, what about this, Joe? What about and, and his surrogate should be out there. Uh, you know, uh, we'll see. You know what he's got to do, Geraldo? He's got to get the band back together. And the people that brought it the last time is going to take the same type of messaging this time. And it's really not hard. Uh, let's see if the if the moderates, the seniors, uh, the independents will accept him. This 34 percent of the country is his base. He's got to get another 10 percent at least. Geraldo, thanks so much. Have a great weekend. OK, Brian. You too, buddy. Thank you, you got it. Uh, next, one 408 Bottom of the arrow, what's going on in Texas? We'll talk to Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We are back, uh, everybody. Lieutenant uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's coming up shortly, and we'll take some of your calls now. Every line, Bill, Jessica, listen, WNIS in Norfolk, Virginia. Jessica. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Great. What's on your mind? I was listening to the discussion you and Geraldo were having, and I think that you both made very good observations. And in the midst of all of that discussion, the point that were very important was Geraldo brought up that the president shouldn't be the lone voice regarding what's going on as far as his administration or other Republican leaders. But he also brought up the point that only very few news outlets are going to cover anyone else speaking out against um, the the, uh, uh, unrest and the riots that are going on um, because they haven't and they won't. The other thing is, I think, in the beginning, when all of this happened um, or began, the president was very careful in making clear in his comments who was responsible to respond to these violent riots. And it was the local governments and the state governments. And he made that very, very clear. And and you have to con- we have to consider, and I know you've talked about this, that if he should respond in any other way, he's going to be skewered as being dictatorial. And therefore, um, I think he's been very cautious on how to navigate through this. And so, as you pointed out, these steps that he's starting to take are very, very important. He has to lay a foundation that looks like he is not acting above the law. I think that's a great point. Uh, it is. And I guess to local, local people to crack down. And you're really stuck with a liberal tornado in that governor and that mayor in Seattle and in Portland as well. And in Minneapolis, what a mess that is. What you could do is back law enforcement. And I thought his executive orders did that. Coming up next, Dan Patrick. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Pausing will not make things better. Uh, The trajectory that we're on right now has our hospitals being overwhelmed probably about mid-July. So the status quo, the the path we're on right now is is the path that that right now has us in danger. Uh, We need to do something that's that's different than that. Uh, We need our people in our community uh, here to, to act differently. The status quo will not protect us. 
Democratic uh, mayor of Dallas, Eric Johnson, talking about, excuse me, uh, Mayor Steve Adler uh, of Austin, my, my bad, uh, talking about what's going to need uh, to get things under control in Texas. Are they? Uh, there is definitely an uptick. But talking about the future and the plan to combat it, Dan Patrick, Texas lieutenant governor, who's owner of our great affiliate KSEV over in Woodlands. Uh, welcome back, uh, Governor. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, thank you, Brian. Always great to be with you and great to have you on KSEV. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, 132,000 confirmed cases were up 5,996. Overall, 2,296 deaths, up 47. The president pointing out the mortality rate. Uh, people aren't dying, they're surviving, but still it's spreading. What can you do? So, so Brian, here's how I look at the, in, in the, look at the data. Uh, before May 20th, we were pretty much closed down. People were staying home, and we opened up for Memorial in Phase 1, then Phase 2, and really beginning into Phase 3. And young people in particular uh, kind of said, Mom, Dad, you know, I've, I've been living with you all long enough here, or maybe they're single and they live in an apartment and they haven't had much socializing. They've decided to go out and socialize without social distancing. So, and I say that because... We knew when we opened up, and millions more, we have 29 million people in Texas, we knew when we opened up, millions of more people go out. Obviously, the virus is going to pick up. So I'm not shocked or surprised by the uptick. Uh, and I see it in young people primarily. That's, depending on the hospital system, can be half the number of people who are in the hospital. So I'm not surprised by that. Um, and the young people are, so far, have not shown that, that they're ending up in the ICU units in great numbers yet or dying from this. It's still mostly our seniors. And so I look at this and I say the positivity is up, may, mostly with young people. It's also up because we're now testing 35,000 people a day. And if we tested another 20,000, guess what? You'd see more positive cases the more people you test. And then I look at the hospitalizations. Um, they have increased primarily with young people. Uh, and then I look at the two main other silos, ICU units and deaths. And, Brian, we did have 47 yesterday, but we had 56 and 58 in May and April. Uh, we also had 10 on one day last week. I think that was Sunday or Monday. So we haven't seen a pickup in the fatalities yet, and I pray and hope that's the case. And, yes, we're up in ICU unit uh, beds, but not the same level or the same ratio as positive, positive cases or hospitalizations. I'll give you a quick figure here, Brian, real quick. Uh, I talked to one hospital CEO, and he said his death rate to positive cases in March was almost 12%. And then it got down to 9% in May, and this month so far it's 59 So we are seeing across the country and in Texas to date um, that the those dying from the virus, those numbers may be up, but the percentages are dropping compared to the positive cases. So that gives me optimism, and that gives me hope, and, um, and we'll just fight our way through this. So I know Houston seems to statistically be the greatest challenge. They say very few beds are, are, are available uh, in your hospital system in that city. Here's Eric Johnson, who I mentioned before. This guy is uh, the mayor, Democratic mayor of Dallas, cut 33. I know we all want to go back to normal and return to life as we knew it back in February. But COVID-19 is spreading rapidly in Dallas County. The data is clear. Our case numbers and our hospitalization numbers, which we've been tracking daily, 
are headed in the wrong direction. So does he have a strategy to stop it? Would, would the mayor have uh, the authority to put uh, close restaurants again? So uh, let me talk about the, ho- the hospital uh, situation. So there was a lot of misreporting on that and, and conflicting statements from the medical center. The medical center in Houston, which is the largest in the country, Brian, uh, they have different organizations that represent them. One organization a day or so ago put out a statement, we're being overrun. We're 97% full. And that sent a message out, out that they had no hospital space or no ICU space and that somehow that 97% was all covid well, the reality was about 25% was COVID. The rest of the ICU beds were your normal ICU beds. This time last year, they were at 85%. Uh, hospitals try to run to capacity. They don't like to have a, a lot of extra beds around on floors. So they nearly run to capacity. So yesterday, the governor um, uh, scaled back and said, let's end elective surgeries. And what that will do is open up the ICU beds. I mean, you'll still have critical heart attacks and, and accident patients that could be in there, but that will open those up uh, and it will open up plenty of hospital beds. And so if you look at if you look at the picture and, and then yesterday, the four leading CEOs came out and contradicted the prior statement said, look, we can handle this. So there's a lot of misinformation and the media grabbed one headline when one person says something. But here are the numbers, Brian. We have 7,200 ICU beds in Texas in the state. We could gross that up another two or 3,000 or maybe a little bit more. But we have 7,200. Currently, 5,700 are occupied. But of those, only 1,400 are COVID patients. So the reality is COVID is not the reason we're at 90 five uh, percent or 97 um, it's it's everything combined and so yeah. when you peel back the elective surgeries uh, who use ICU units as well um, you'll have those beds open and that's why the hospitals believe they can handle it as we do but right. look we're clearly concerned we're clearly watching it but again I look at the numbers of the deaths and the ICU units for COVID and that's what I'm focused on and so far uh, again ICU is up some the deaths are, we haven't seen a trend line yet. Uh, they're up a little bit. They're still averaging about where they did two months ago in the high 20s and low 30s. So, so we'll watch that. But that's the key, Brian, as we open up America, because uh, you can't lock down America for the next 12 or 18 months. As you open up America, you're going to have people getting sick. Right, and until be they come up with better therapeutics others, and but vaccines. But they're not all going to die. Yeah. So we're talking Lieutenant, Co- uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. So, uh, Dan. Let's move ahead and look a little bit about politics. I was struck by the fact yep. that Fox did a poll, and you might not like the results, or the Republicans might not like the results this time, but they broke down how they did the poll, and it shows the president is actually losing Texas to Joe Biden. In your informal poll, which is called Your Life, is he losing Texas? Yeah. No, he's not losing Texas. And I was the chair of his campaign in Texas in 16, and I, and I am again in in 2020, he's not going to lose Texas. Look, when Joe Biden, and a poll is a snapshot in time, uh, by the way, that poll probably has, I didn't look at the margin of error, two to three or four percent margin of error. So maybe Trump is up by two, maybe he's down by two at this snapshot in time. I really believe he, I really believe in our internal uh, polling. Uh, I don't want to reveal numbers, but I, I, I feel he's in a comfortable position and he's going to win. And the large part, Brian, is Joe Biden it does not represent the values and principles of the vast majority of Texans. And Joe Biden has hooked his, his uh, star up to, to Beto O'Rourke, who is uh, uh, pro-abortionist and wants to take people's guns away. And, take, and, and don't forget to take the wall down. 
Yeah, and take, yeah, and take the wall down. None of those issues are going to play. Um, people are look. The president, you know, I, you know, this guy. When I look at the president, I've never seen anyone in my life in the history of this country who gets more, who is attacked more from every side, from John Bolton, who is the Benedict Arnold of our time. Well, you know, what a disgrace he is, really. You, you take a job. It's almost like he took the job knowing I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, I, I want to, you know, gather up material so I can write a book and make a lot of money. I have no respect for that guy. But he's attacking him. Now there's a book, you know, from a family member. You've got some on the right that the never Trumpers, you know, are attacking him. The left's attacking him. The media attacking him. We've had a pandemic. We've had riots in the streets. This guy, the fact that that even, uh, you know, what some would say are bad poll numbers, that he's only six or seven or eight down in, in the swing states is amazing to me. But I want you and, to hear. And, OK, so I just so want you to hear what I, Kevin I McCarthy just said. He'll win Texas. I just want Pardon? you to hear. But, but outside Texas, there is disturbing yep. trends in the battleground states. Here's what Kevin McCarthy sure. just said. If the election was today, yes, you're concerned. Can we do better? Yes, we can. Who's the best to articulate what the future is to me? Who's best to rebuild, renew, and restore America? Who's best to rebuild this economy? Is it going to be Joe Biden? Does anyone know what Joe Biden's policies are? So he he admits there is trouble if the election was today. Do you believe that? Well, if the election were today, it would be close, and I still think he wins. Look, there are a lot, Brian, there are millions of Americans right now who are quietly seething beneath the surface. Every time they see a statue pulled down, every time they see a, uh, people attacked on the streets, every time they say they say I'm not talking about the peaceful protesters over George Floyd. That was a terrible, terrible event that should have never happened. We watched the torture of a person on live television, and it rocked all of us. And we all were united against that. But, but then these anarchists who want to destroy our country have now moved in another direction. It has nothing to do with George Floyd anymore. It, it's the Marxist who have been waiting for a spark to try to take over this country. And I'm telling you, in Texas and in those swing states like North Carolina and Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin and Arizona and Nevada, where you have a lot of Republicans and maybe even some maybe independents, maybe some soccer moms in the suburbs that maybe a few months ago or even six weeks ago said, you know, I don't know if I'm going to vote for the president. I'm unsure. Let me tell you, at the end of the day, they're going to look at Joe Biden. They're going to look at what's happening in the streets, what's happening to their country, how it's going to impact their grandchildren, their children's future. And they're not going to vote for that guy. And they're going to stay with the president right. because it is clear he is the only person who can get us back on track to where we were. This is we've always heard it, Brian. You've heard it your whole life. Every listener that this is the most important election in our country. If Joe Biden wins this, we, we could lose this country and never get it back to where it was just in February, last time so, you and I were together talking about your great book on the Alamo. Yeah, thank and you. So yeah. I feel confident. It's a lo- look. I've been in politics a long time, and I've studied it for even longer. It's a long way between now and November. People, when they actually have to make it today, you can say anything in a poll. Oh yeah, but when it actually gets to pushing that button, and your life is on the line, and your city's on the line, and your country's on the line, the future of your children are on the line. It's not so easy to say, yeah, yeah, maybe Joe Biden. Not going to happen. Lieutenant Governor, a couple of things, though. The one thing is pretty clear is they have to be clear about why they want another four years. And it's not just because you don't want Joe Biden. And here's what Senator John Thune said. And they are concerned in Washington about losing the Senate. And he is not an anti-Trump by any stretch. The audio is not great, but I think you understand what his worry is. Cut 25. I think he can can win those back. Uh, require not only uh, 
a message that deals with substance policy, but I think uh, a message that conveys uh, uh, perhaps different tone. So he's talking about winning back seniors specifically. He says, I think he can win yes. them back, but it'll probably require not only a message that deals with policy, but I think a message that conveys perhaps a different tone. Do you get substance out of that statement? Yeah. So, uh, Brian, look, I, I'm worried about the, the text, uh, not, not the Texas Senate, the U.S. Senate as well. Because if Trump were to lose, it would be very hard to hold the Senate. And the Democrats will change the 60-vote culture rule to 50 in a, in a New York second. And they will run everything through Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer that will just eviscerate our principles and our values and our Constitution, our Second Amendment, our First Amendment. Go down the list. Um, so I'm very concerned about that. But I'm also confident that the people of America understand what's at stake, and the majority of them will show up and vote. The only thing that, and, and vote for the president, the only thing that concerns me, Brian, is if we have massive mail-in ballots, which we've stopped in Texas through the Fifth Circuit, if that's allowed to happen across this country, there's so much fraud yep, in, in, and, and so much just mistakes of ballots going out to dead people, people have moved, et cetera, that people will vote multiple times for other people, that they, they can steal the election, and that's why they want to do that. But in terms of what Thune said about the message, there's one thing I've learned in politics. I've, I've been, I was in the Senate eight years and now six years as lieutenant governor. No matter how good of a job you've done, people want to hear about what you're going to do, not what you've done. It's no different than in business. You know, when you go before your shareholders, your partners, hey, you had a great year last year, but how are you going to improve the stock price or the investor investment? It's no different than a football coach. Bill Belichick, you've won six Super Bowls, but now you've got Jason Stidham. What are you going to do for us this year, coach? That's human nature in life. So the senator is right in that respect. All of us in the Republican Party, from the president down to the lowest elected official, have to give people a vision of where we're going. And that vision has to be important to the voter, to the listener, because at the end of the day, the, that, that mom, that dad, that grandparent, that senior, that 40-year-old, whoever they are, it's about their life. It's about their wallet. It's about their job. It's about their family. It's about their safety. And so... They want to hear that clearly. They're not going to hear that from Joe Biden. So I do agree with the senator, and I believe I believe the president will clearly be there. And I think gotcha. it's obvious to his supporters. But he's but to reach out to the independents and some who are in the middle who will decide the election. Look, ninety everybody who gotcha. voted for the president last time is going to vote for him. Plus, because he has done a great job through February, he was sailing into office. But now he's going to have to go out there, work harder, make sure that message is out there, and relate to those people. He will. He's the best commuter. We, communicator we've had uh in our lifetime and uh and you know he he speaks what's on his mind gotcha. he says it in his own way sometimes people say well that's not the way a president speaks but right now we need a tough guy to right. save our country and to save all of our families and at the end of the day it okay. sure as hell not joe biden lieutenant governor dan patrick thanks so much best of luck keeping those numbers down and the fight against the coronavirus on back in a moment it's brian kilmeade Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, let's keep it in Texas. John, listening on KSEV in Woodlands, Texas. Hey, John. Good uh, morning, Brian. First of all, I'm a legal immigrant that grew up two blocks away from the New York Stock Exchange. All right. So you know where that is. Uh, with regard to 
Governor Patrick's uh, comments. I agree, because when you see people like Leo Terrell, who is not a Trump lover, as you well know from your discussion. African-American civil rights attorney. Exactly. When he comes out and says Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson are robbing the black communities blind, they're lining their pockets, Get the heck out of the Democratic Party. Do not drop another penny into the coffers of the Democrats and of Black Lives Matter. That activity is an abortion, according to the very liberal Leo Terrell. Now, with regard to our friend from the Bronx, when he says that Trump is not doing enough, I agree with your female caller who said, He's damned if he does, if he's damned if he doesn't. When Corona came along and he stopped the traffic uh, from Europe, he was a racist, et cetera, et cetera. Then he didn't do enough. John, 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 the only thing we have to do uh, if we want to get go beyond the polls, talk to people that didn't vote for him and talk to people that are still up in the air. You voted for him the first time, it sounds like. Lieutenant uh, Patrick, Lieutenant Governor Patrick did too. But it's not the 37% or 34% that's his base. It's independence. And he's got to find a way to hold on to female seniors. It just, it's come become very clinical. I know it's frustrating, and it's probably the biggest challenge any president has had. Pandemic, economic, and more as well as headwinds like I've never seen. But that's what it's going to take to win. Answers, answers, answers. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest minutes of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Chris Tyrewald at 20 after and esteemed historian Jay Winnick at the bottom of the hour, author of 1860, April 1865 and 1944. We'll get his perspective on what's going on right now with our history, our, our change, our, our push to change everything about our present and our past. The president of the United States uh, is uh, somebody who is not going to be presiding over the Corona Task Force that's going to be televised today with the vice president meeting. There is an uptick in about 31 states. The good news is the mortality rate is low, but the bad news is there is a lot of cases, which shows not many people thought we beat it. Not many countries have beat it back in South Korea, back in China. We understand it. But until we get a therapy, this is going to be the deal. The markets reacted negatively to the fact that Texas has just, through an executive order, decided to reduce capacity of restaurants. I think it's down to 50% now. So the markets lost about 500 points because of that. We'll see how it responds by the end of the day. Because consumer spending, we understand, is up. They usually like things like that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You have... Unnecessarily, now we have over 120 million dead from COVID. He said that. Yes, sir. That's not like an error. Gee, it's a slip up. That's a serious error. Uh, That is the President of the United States responding to breaking news given to him by Sean Hannity. The presidential push. 
Biden's basement bust out, and it did not take long to realize why he was best off at home. As we quickly goes back to Gaftastic, uh, that Gaftastic Joe, still in almost all polls, he leads, and the lead grows. Do you believe that, and do Republicans have a reason to be concerned? I say yes and yes. Number two. If this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down this system and replace it. All right. And I could be speaking uh, figuratively. I could be speaking literally. Wow. Law and order. Black Lives Matter lashes out. That's an executive there. Cops are quitting. Police ambushes are growing and departments are cutting. How do we fix this mix? Number one. For the Lincoln Monument, the Emancipation Monument, cancel culture has now just become ignorant culture. The mob culture cannot just decide what it wants to destroy. And that is Michael Waltz, Green Beret, congressman from Florida, the war on history. First, it was a Confederate statue. Today, tonight, it's Lincoln statue. Next week, it'll be Mount Rushmore. And now it's the Swar Spangled Banner. Are all these all this change OK with you? It is not with me. And that's why we'll discuss it. It got right to the president's attention yesterday, and he's taking action. He is as executive orders to protect the monuments. Cut one. Well, first of all, we have arrested, I think almost, but it could be over the number, hundreds of people. We have arrested a lot of people for what they've done. They've created uh, bedlam. They've destroyed very important things. I mean, you're also talking about statues of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Uh, They'd like to get Jesus. They're troublemakers, they're agitators, and they're anarchists. The big thing they want is they want to really destabilize our country, and we don't let them. He's not kidding about Jesus. One of the Black Lives Matter guys said, yeah, we don't like Jesus being depicted as white. We want to destroy every statue that makes him look white and every picture that makes him look white. Really? Is this okay with you? Because I don't hear anything from Democrats at all. Finally, Nancy Pelosi was asked— and she said, by the way, it's her dad in Baltimore that dedicated a statue to Robert E. Lee in the 1950s. Cut six. Should art depicting slave owners, including our nation's founding fathers, come down in the country? Are you talking about the patriarch of our country, George Washington, the author of our Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson? No, I don't think they should come down. I do think, though, that in the Capitol, but we have members of the Confederacy who served as speaker. Their painting should come down. Okay. She walked by it for 40 years, and now it's the time. I, wanted, I like that answer. I also like this answer from the, the very liberal mayor of Washington, D.C., Muriel Bowser, because this is not a debate. You're not seeing people debating and having conversations and engaging. You're seeing violence. And the, the most egregious example were the ropes and chains around Andrew Jackson's statue right in front of the White House one hour after I left yesterday. I got this uh, special coming out, uh, What Made America Great, on the news channel at 10 o'clock. The history of the White House. You'll love it if you love the country. Mayor Muriel Bowser is getting concerned about the level of violence, the mob mentality. Not only the riots, they were threatening our reporters. People don't seem to care. Threatening members of the press, it doesn't seem to matter. Uh, Forcing the president to a safer location. Uh, They want him to attack the president personally. Cut five. This is what I think we all need to do with statues is kind of have a reasonable conversation on statues and other references to historical figures. 
uh, not have a, a mob decide that they want to pull it down um, and certainly not destroy anything in the district or set anything on fire. So I want to give you specifically the, the debate we've been discussing about Lincoln. Now, as I discussed the other day, uh, I'm I'm researching a book how Lincoln and Frederick Douglass combined to win the war and make America more perfect union, president and a freedom fighter. And I'm all over this, and I'm I'm at the I was already researched the whole dedication of this statue in 1876. So this is 11 years after Lincoln was assassinated. Frederick Douglass is asked to dedicate that statue, at which time it shows a real American, not just a depiction of an African-American, a real American. And he's standing up, fist clenched, standing up from slavery. That was the image they looked to portray. Frederick Douglass gave a speech in front of it, dedicated it to it. You know, that wasn't what it was designed, but it was financed by free African-Americans who have earned their freedom through the Civil War and through uh, sometimes being fugitive and just escaping. Marsha Cole is among the African-Americans who is a female reenactor who said, leave this thing up. There it is, the new one. Texas, right? We don't have it. All right. Uh, do you have it or not? All right. Marsha Cole says this. I'm here to speak on behalf of the legacy of Charlotte Scott. Uh, Charlotte Scott, by the way, when you hear her referenced, she is, Charlotte Scott is the first former slave to donate to the memorial, even before the design was confirmed. People tend to think of that figure as being servile, but if you uh, second look, you will see something different perhaps. That man is not kneeling on two knees with his head bowed. He is in the act of getting up. And his head is up, not bowed, because he's looking forward to a future of freedom. People have said, well, he's chained to Mr. Lincoln. Closer look, you will see that while there's a shackle on his right hand, he's holding the end of a broken chain, which means he has taken his freedom. He now realizes he's free. So I say, leave it, let it stand. Leave it, let it stand. That's an intellectual argument. You engage her, you go back and forth, you think about it. You know, you don't like the Teddy Roosevelt statue that's been there for 70 years in front of the Museum of Natural History. He basically started it. His dad financed it and organized it. And they didn't like the way African-American and American Indian were portrayed in the, in the statue. Makes no sense to me. But you have a conversation about it. But now everyone's running for the hills and the director says, I'm going to get rid of the statue. I mean, do people stand for anything? I mean, does anything matter to you? Real quick, on the lawlessness that accompanies this big story, there was a poll done by Harvard Havers people, and they said, do you think the major cities were too harsh in their response to the riots and the looting or too soft in their response or handled it just right? 47% said too soft. Does anyone think the president's been too soft? Almost nobody that I know of. So when it comes to law and order, where are we at? In New York City, the Bronx, the precinct commander has just quit. After 30 years, Deputy Inspector Richard Bray has quit. He threw in the towel. You know why? He says his bosses are not giving him enough guidance of how to get guns and drugs off the street. They just disbanded a, uh, a 600-man and woman unit 
that was in charge of anti-crime that would help them chart where their next hotspot would be, just in layman's terms about what law enforcement does. They are cutting the budget significantly, and their new bail laws makes it almost impossible to hold someone after their arrest while they're being vilified and beat up on the streets while working 12-hour days. That is not only here in Minneapolis. They basically dismantled the police and they're defunding the police in Seattle. In Chicago, the same deal. While murder rates are up 48 percent in New York City, shootings are up 86 percent in New York City. Tell me you're comfortable with this. Please tell me a scenario where you even think about Democrats or Republicans. Here's Ed Mullins, the New York Sergeant's Benevolent Association president. Cut 16. We saw that happen right here in New York City uh, with police officer Ramos and Lou. Uh, we're finding it, you know, criminals are being more and more emboldened by a lot of these mayors. If you think about that, we have stand down orders of everything that's occurring as far as riots go and attacks on police. Um, we need the American public to get out, to vote, to stand behind the police and let us lead the way to bring back society the way it was meant to be in this country. We're a nation of laws. Uh, we will do the job, but we need to change these laws and we need to get rid of the politicians who are definitely um, doing everything they can to disrupt the American way of life. And Mayor de Blasio in New York City is, is a classic example. He is a disgrace. That's Laura Ingram, 100% right again. A disgrace with murders up 86, with murders up and shootings up like this. You know what he's doing? He's leading a charge to paint Black Lives Matters in front of Trump Tower. I don't need to give commentary after that statement. Just laying it out. If it was a joke, the setup is the story. When we come back, I'm going to go take a break a little bit from Law & Order and talk about some of the poll numbers that came out from a Fox News poll to a guy all over, Chris Tyrell, political, a political editor for Fox News. is four months to the election. I think the Trump campaign's got to get better. And Chris Tyrell looks at the numbers as it stands right now. Back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. If the election was today, yes, you're concerned. Can we do better? Yes, we can. Who's the best to articulate what the future is? To me, who's best to rebuild, renew, and restore America? Who's best to rebuild this economy? Is it going to be Joe Biden? Does anyone know what Joe Biden's policies are? Uh, Welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade, Brian Kilmeade Show. Chris Starwalt joins us now. Chris, the polls came out yesterday and it's ugly for uh, the current president of the United States. He's trailing in every battleground state and in trouble uh, in states he won like Georgia and Texas. Um, do you, if you, if you're the president, you have to be concerned. How concerned? Um, it doesn't seem to quite get through. I, I don't know. It he, nothing. Well, uh, Craig, we're trying to correct uh, Chris's signal there. Chris sometimes goes into his treehouse and grabs his transistor radio. And puts on his headset, and it's tough to actually get the same clearance. Um, but do you want to try it again? We're going to re- redial him. 
Okay. Chris, you there? Can you hear me now? Yeah, Is that's this better. better. Yes. It was my insights were so so searing that it melted actually the satellite that was carrying this message to you. <laughs> um, the, the nothing seems to penetrate with Trump. Uh, his campaign is a shambles. His reelection effort is a shambles. Uh, it's a, it's a disaster, and nothing seems to penetrate. I watched him with Sean Hannity last night, and he couldn't even explain why he deserved a second term or what he wanted to do with a second term. Nothing seems to be able to convince him that he is in a real, real bad spot. And if you read the Wall Street Journal today, you read Peggy Noonan today, I wrote about it yesterday. It's, everybody sees it, but Trump somehow doesn't see it. And I don't, I don't know what will make him. I don't know what will cause him to take seriously uh, what's happening. Hmm. I think that uh, from what I've heard, the problem is a lot of people around him now point to the positives and not the real reality. And the good news for him is the people that brought him the victory last time are still there. They're not alienated. They're not hanging out with John Bolton at Starbucks. Um, the, the, people, the people that could get it done are still there. The president has to call on them. And they're there to make it done. He needs a message. I read the Wall Street Journal column. I thought it was great. The editorial, I think it was 100% on the money. And Sleepy Joe is going to be President Joe was the theme. But what I also took from that, if you're the president, it's still winnable. There are things that are out of your control, how you react during that time. And the thing is not lost yet, especially when you have this ability that the president has to break through and communicate and has the fervent support he has among the the solid 34 percent. He needs another 10 percent. The. Hmm. Those long silent parts usually I'm used to the silent treatment, just not on my own radio show. So that's Chris Tyrewalt. And I don't know if he was going to agree with me that this thing is so winnable, but I see. And I, I recommend everybody on the Trump side read this because it says Trump's base is 35 percent or so will never leave. But the swing voters who stood by him, and I go, oh, Chris, you're back with me. Well, the Trump's base uh, will never leave. But the swing voters who stood by him for three and a half years have fallen away in the last two months. It includes suburban women, independents and seniors who took a risk in 2016 as an outsider would shake things up. Now, millions of Americans are close to deciding that four more years are more risks than they can stand. And he's got to do something. Uh, you know, the, the, the best thing for him to do right now is to just stop, right? He's making it worse. The best thing to do right now is be calm, be steady, uh, and look presidential for a while and let the focus fall to Joe Biden. The way that Trump can win the election is if the election is, uh, is about Joe Biden, not completely, but substantially, right? There's no way Trump escapes it being a referendum on his leadership. But if he can write the shit and get to the point where people say, Okay, it was pretty rough running there in uh, April and May and into June, but things have stabilized. And and if the economy is coming back and if things are if the virus, if he's executing um, his office well and people feel confident in the direction that he. So so first do a good job. And then the benefit that comes to you if you do a good job is that the focus goes to your opponent. And Joe Biden doesn't want a lot of focus, right? He's uh, the, he's the oldest person ever nominated by a major party. 
Uh, he has a gauzy policy slate, and he faces pushback from his own party when he will have to articulate what those policies are, right? Because he is nowhere near the activist base of his own party on a lot of things. That's it. And Chris, can I just finish up with this? Because we're 20 seconds left. I just think the president has handled the monuments well. Even last night he was deferential. I understand that some monuments are offensive or not using a different word. I thought he was pretty balanced on that. And I think the law and order thing plays to his strength. Final thought? It's, it does, except for the fact that he's president and he, he, unless he can do something about it, and that's what he's trying to do now is do something about it, he's got to say that he can deliver law and order, just uh, point to the lawlessness. Got it. Uh, Chris Tyrell, thanks so much. Uh, pick up the Fox News Halftime Report, find out what he thinks, pick up Every Man's a King, find out what he writes about. Thanks, Chris. When we come back, Jay Winnick puts it all in perspective, one of America's finest historians, wrote April 1865. We need him in 2020. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It took eight years to build, and 14 years later, it was burned to the ground. It's been gutted to its studs. And now, over 230 years old, it stands as one of the most powerful, enduring homes in the world today. I'm talking about the White House, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And ladies and gentlemen, not only are we going to look back at its past, we're going to talk to its current resident, the President of the United States. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and this is what made America great. And we played that together uh, right now because for a couple of reasons. One, we're about to talk history. Number two, Sunday night at 10 o'clock and repeated at 1 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, what Made America Great will be on Fox News Channel, brand new episode. It's going to focus on something I know you're interested in, and that is the history of the White House. It's really the history of our country. Only one president didn't live there. It's this guy named George Washington, but he picked the place to build it. He actually aided it in the design. Uh, and made sure it was the people's house and not a palace. Joining us now, a guy that did not need that explanation, Jay Winnick. He's a New York Times bestselling historian, wrote 1865 and 1944, uh, both outstanding. But Jay, I think as we welcome you back, I got to focus on 1865 here in 2020. Are you surprised? I'm sorry? Are you surprised that we have to talk about 1865 and not just because we're talking about your book, but it's about America in 1865. And that's the debate here in 2020. You know, I, I, I really am surprised. And when you think of just what Abraham Lincoln means to the American people and means to us as a nation, and really what he should mean to to, to blacks who, uh, who, through their descendants, I mean, it was Lincoln who freed the slaves, I mean, that's just an incredible legacy. When I think of what happened with this Lincoln statue in, in Lincoln Park, which now is kind of ringed with, with fences to protect it, um, you know, that, that, that statue reminds me of a scene from Richmond in 1865 when R- Richmond, the Confederate capital, had just fallen. And Abraham Lincoln wanted to see it and see it with his own eyes. And what would happen would be there would be one of the most profound scenes ever in American history. 
Lincoln would step onto uh, onto American soil, uh, now freed, and um, and then all of a sudden he was mobbed by a sea of faces, and these were former slaves who were now free, and they were shouting, glory, glory to God, glory, glory. And then Lincoln looked at them and he said, you are free, you are free as air. And one woman shouted back, she said, I know I am free for I've seen Father Abraham. And another, and another slave, former slave, threw himself at Lincoln's feet, and Lincoln wagged a stern finger at him, and he said, from now on you don't kneel to me, you kneel only to your God, you kneel only to your Creator. Now, it's really hard to imagine a more powerful and poignant scene than that. And um, in, in, all, in all the politics today, we're losing the complexity and richness of history, and that's a shame. It's uh, lazy. I mean, why would you say I'm going to take down a statue without finding out what that statue means? You know, what, what, you're just looking to create havoc. Uh, you're not looking to make your country better. You're, you're, you're expressing rage about something you know nothing about. It's inexcusable. This is not, you know, uh, this is not a march in the 1960s. This is not Rosa Parks. This is just anarchy. I can't put it in the category in which you just defined it. It's not worthy of the argument you just presented. Well, it, it's, it's hard to know really what is driving all this. Um, but, but I would argue that this is an important time where we should be having not less history but more history. And we should be using this as a teaching moment not to sanitize history but to shine a bright light on it. And I think it's crucial not only for people today but the young people uh, in our nation to know that um, to know that history has has its complexities and, and they should be knowing not only the good parts of history but the bad parts of history and it'll all wash out well in, in the end I believe I want you to answer this protester cut 10 this statue right here embodies the white supremacy and the disempowerment of black people that is forced upon us by white people yeah. Yeah. that is why we're carrying this down. We are going to be doing it on Thursday at 7 p.m. We tearing this down. Well, thankfully they didn't. It's Friday, and they said they're going to do it tonight. And what he was pointing to is the Lincoln statue with him, uh, the Emancipation statue, it's known, where Frederick Douglass coronated it, uh, opened it, where the 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 blanket was taken off by none other than Ulysses S. Grant and was supposed to be a tribute to African-Americans who now had their freedom. What should, how was that protester wrong or misguided? Well, I think it's sad and unfortunate. And, and, and to, talk about, to talk about Lincoln in those terms, I think, is really kind of missing the mark. Abraham Lincoln, who is probably not only one of our two greatest presidents, but maybe our greatest president, um, I mean, just imagine what he did. In behalf of slavery, he fought this titanic war that, that in, in, the, in, in the initial aspects, he thought it would take a few months. It took four years. It consumed some 620,000 lives. Um, but what he did was he kept the Union together. He freed the slaves. He promulgated the Emancipation Proclamation and then the 13th Amendment. That's just an incredible legacy. And, you know, I think of when Lincoln did this, he suffered. He suffered day after day and night after night in behalf of this cause. You know, during the Battle of the Wilderness, which was the run-up to when they finally turned the tide of the military fortunes for the Union, uh, Lincoln would be pacing the walls of the White House, his, his head down, his hands behind his back, and he was muttering to himself over and over, saying, I must have relief from this anxiety or it will kill me. 
Well, it almost did kill him, but in the end, he saved the Union, he freed the slaves, but an assassin's bullet ended his life. But that is a remarkable legacy, and it's a story of common humanity, and it's a uniquely American story. And, and I think it's unfortunate to kind of change the, the arc of history in terms of who Abraham Lincoln was and what he did and what he accomplished for not only blacks and the former slaves, but for all Americans. And by the way, the African-American's name was Archer Alexander. He is uh, who is mentoring for the design from uh, of the design of the designer had him representing a perfectly not a perfectly passive, but an emancipated slave. And these are his words. Uh, they said that Alexander is somebody who's got a fist clenched and is breaking his own chains under the president's guiding arm. That was the intention. Anything else is misinterpreted. So if you want to put Frederick Douglass next to that statue, if you want to make it better, I understand it. But uh, destroying history, I don't get it. So I want to move to other, other people. Our founding- can, I, can I just say one quick yeah. thing, Brian? I mean, it's, it's not only just history, but it's also art. And, you know, there was this kind of debate, I remember, at the U.S. Open, which was which is one of the tennis grand slams, when they put up the statue of Arthur Ashe. And it's, it's, um, it, it's more of an artistic rendition. And in the beginning, everybody complained about it, but now we see it not only as an important momentum to, to history of a, of a great American, Arthur Ashe, um, but it's also a great work of art as well. And, and, uh, and that shouldn't be lost with some of these monuments and, and memorials as well. Some have, uh, in Portland, they took George Washington's statue down. In other places, they sprayed his hands with blood, as they do with Jefferson, who's having a rough time at the university he created and the one he went to. What should we know about Jefferson and Washington? Obviously, slaveholders, but it was something they were born into. What perspective should we all have? Yeah, I mean, the the case of Jefferson is is, is perhaps the most interesting because he had the most checkered history of all. Um, he was a slave owner, uh, but he was leery of slavery, calling it the dreaded fire bell in the night. He owned some 200 slaves, three generations worth, and at his home, Monticello, um, the slaves were flogged, and he even mortgaged slaves to pay for his French-inspired renovation of his home, Monticello. But having said that, let's not forget just what, Jer- what Thomas Jefferson did and who he was. At just the tender age of 33, he authored the Declaration of Independence, which talked about all men are created equal, and that would become the defining statement of America. And it's hard to imagine a, a, a greater legacy than that. And, um, and he helped bequeath us the, our nation. And, um, and I also believe that Jefferson, in many ways, would have been with the protesters today. He once said that the, the blood of tyrants, uh, that, that political movements should be refreshed by the blood of tyrants and patriots. It is the natural manure. So, so when, when they're pouring blood on his statue or, or pulling it down, they're pulling down, in effect, somebody who would have been on their side. Uh, but Jefferson, he helped bequeath us modern democracy as we know it. And that is as great a gift not only to our nation, uh, but to the world today. So mm-hmm. that's something that we're losing in a very, very profound way. And we know and Hamilton, course, Hamilton, Franklin, and John Adams were three, uh, uh, three key uh, American figures that did not uh, have slaves. No, they didn't have slaves, and, and they were ardently anti-slavery. And, you know, what's remarkable, if, if we really step back and look at the history, not a politicized history, but history in its fullness, is not that America failed to, 
to get rid of slavery at the outset, but that they debated and discussed it as much as they did, even though it threatened to rip, rip the country apart at its beginning. And, you know, we should recall that in the very first Congress, there were two anti-slavery petitions that were given, given to the Congress, and one of them bore the imprimatur of no less than the great statesman and diplomat and inventor, uh, Benjamin Franklin. And during the debate, at one point, a South Carolinian delegate, uh, he, he said on the, on the floor of the Senate, he, he likened slaves to, to property, and he said they are like sheep. And Benjamin Franklin, with a very stern frown, looked back at him and he said, yes, but sheep do not make revolutions. I mean, th these are just remarkable men, Jefferson, Franklin, Hamilton, Washington, and, um, and, and, it, and it's sad to see them being turned into something that they're not, which is a very ahistorical rendition of who, who they are and what they did. Two more topics. Uh, three more, actually. Uh, first off, Confederate statues. Do you put them in a different category? For example, I talked to Douglas Brinkley, and he said to me, another esteemed historian, he said, I, you know, I'm for maybe putting Confederate statues into their own museum. How do you feel about that? For example, Robert E. Lee. Um, you know, it, it, it's clearly very painful to many African Americans. And if, if, if people decide in the final analysis that they want to move it into museums, I, I'm certainly fine with that. But one thing that I feel a little uncomfortable with is just this blanket rendition of, the, of Confederates like a Robert E. Lee saying they were all nothing but unabashed traitors. Uh, I mean, if you look at the historical record, it's actually much more complex and, and, and different than that. In Robert E. Lee's case, he was actually offered the, the general-in-chiefship general of the Union armies by Abraham Lincoln. And, and Lee went and he thought about it for a few days, and eventually he said, I cannot raise my sword against my home state of Virginia. And the fact of the matter is, in that day and in that time, it was just as common for people to vest their, their political allegiances to their home states as to their countries. And secession was actually kind of quite common back then. Uh, there was the Whiskey Rebellion in 1793, which threatened secession. There was the Hartford Convention in which the New England states threatened secession in 1812. Uh, South Carolina, as you well know from your magnificent book on Andrew Jackson, they threatened secession. Even New York City on the eve of the Civil War was threatening secession. So it was not some heretical thing, but it was part of the world in that day and that time. And, and I think it's sad to see somebody like Ali painted with a broad brush of being of being just a traitor. And in fact, at the end of the war, it was Robert E. Lee who could have waged guerrilla war, which could have cleaved America, not only for generations, but maybe for all of time. But he spared America a bloody civil, a bloody civil slash guerrilla war that could have done that. And you know, there were some people who said, well, maybe we should try Robert E. Lee as a traitor. This was at the end of the Civil War. And it was U.S. Grant, the general-in-chief of the Union armies, who hotly resisted it because he, he felt uncomfortable with that. And ironically, in Lee's case, he lived, he lived out his final years of his life as a, a good American citizen, even though he was not an American citizen at that point. He was, a state, he was stateless. Uh, he is uh, a fascinating perspective. Jay, I just got to get a couple more things. First sure. off, uh, there's talk now of changing the Star Spangled Banner, written by Francis Scott Key, because he had slaves in the third, uh, in the third stanza. Evidently, he refers to slaves. Your reaction? Um, you know, maybe they can. 
I, I mean, maybe we can come up with another kind of anthem as well, a supplemental anthem or a dual anthem. I, I'd have to give it some thought. But, again, you know, my, my answer to this is not less history, but it's, it's more history. Last, uh, the Mount Rushmore, uh, the Indian, American Indians uh, uh, there say that it was taken in a bad deal and a dishonest deal, and they never should have carved those faces into the mountains. Should we get rid of Mount Rushmore? Um, no, I, I mean, again, my answer would be not less history, but more history. I think it's it, it's there for a number of important reasons, and it's it's a, it's a historical monument in the fact that it was even put up when and in the manner that it was. And um, and they can do plaques, which kind of give a fuller explanation, and um, and and perhaps some kind of a, an Indian an Indian Mount Rushmore. Um, so I would not, I, I would not be in favor of getting rid of it. I would certainly keep it, and I'd find other ways to kind of uh, yeah. ex- express what happened throughout the fullness of history. I would, uh, I would guard it with uh, our last bullet. Uh, it's part of America. Uh, Jay Winnick, thanks so much. Exciting times. Very rarely are a historian so much a part of the news, but we need your perspective desperately. Truly appreciate it. Pick up April 1865 and 1944. Thanks, Jay. Brian, always great to be with you. All right, back in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Let's go out to Harvey real quick, WNIS uh, in Fort Smith, Virginia. Hey, Harvey. Hey, Brian, and thank you for taking my call. I said thank God uh, for uh, President Trump because he had really pulled the covers back on uh, a lot of this racism in this country, and the uh, 38% of support he have is not going to win him another election. And he can only blame these problems on himself because he is his worst enemy, Brian. I in what way, Harvey? Th- a lot of people agree with you, but in what way do you think he is? Well, I mean, as a, as a person of color, I mean, he's never talked to me. He always talked about me. You know, he's bullied his way all the way to this point, Brian. And, and America wants someone to bring this country together. And Biden may not be the perfect person, but all this, I wouldn't say all this division, but much of this division has been caused by Donald Trump. See, Harvey, I think you, I don't think you can grain the pan, you can blame the pandemic on Trump. I don't think you can blame the Russia investigation on Trump. I don't think you can blame the economic collapse on Trump. I don't think you can blame the civil unrest on Trump. His reaction is the way Trump reacts. Here's what I would say. The country is so much better off with President Trump than President Biden. And here's why. The people that will run is not that moderate from the 80s or 90s. President Biden, it's not going to be Bill Clinton and say, well, what's the big deal? I have to compromise with Congress. You're going to have such an extreme agenda you're seeing it in the defund the police. Uh, let's call back on the anti-crime units. Let's put social workers in police cars. Let's stop spending so much on the military. Let's start uh, destroying the oil and gas industry and bringing more and uh, more uh, windmills. It is going to be so bad for the country. And it's up to the president in the next four months to show that his agenda is better. The ball is still in his court. Because the guy that he's going against doesn't want to play and thinks he will win if he doesn't. Watch our special Sunday at 10. What makes America great? A look at the White House. 230 years strong. 
Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.